This is the Ruminant Podcast. I'm Jordan Marr. I think this is a problem that a lot of small farms run into where they they have CSA members or they have chefs or whatever that have these really unrealistic expectations of them because it's like they forget that, that you know they're running a business and they're, they're dealing with hundreds of different customers that market and CSA and wholesale and restaurant and whatever. And, you know, you can't treat everybody like a special case all the time. Coming up, Matt Coffey on setting up standing orders with your restaurant customers. Hey folks, it's Jordan. Okay, so it's a pretty short episode this week. The busy farming season is set in, and so some of the episodes you're going to hear in the next few weeks might be pretty short, and they might tend to be focused on the more practical stuff. If you're new to the podcast and you're not a farmer or gardener, I recommend you check out the, the back catalog of the, of the podcast. You'll find plenty of episodes that, that aren't so technically focused that feature conversations about broader topics like food security and food politics. But for today, I've got Matt Coffey back on the podcast. He's going to talk about how, with his restaurant customers for his market garden, he's mainly set up standing orders, which he finds is a way more efficient way to deal with with restaurants and ultimately makes his business more profitable. That's all I'm going to say. Here is Matt's bio, and then right after that, you'll hear my conversation. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll talk to you at the end. I'm Matt Coffey. I'm the owner of Second Spring Market Garden in Asheville, North Carolina. It's an acre and a half diversified vegetable farm and we do a lot of four season production and run a four season CSA. Matt Coffey, thanks a lot for coming back on the Ruminant Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Matt, you, uh, you're a market gardener, you grow tons of vegetables and you, uh, a, a healthy portion of your business is uh, devoted to selling to restaurants. And as I understand you, at least with one restaurant, perhaps more, um, have set up standing orders with, with one or more clients. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We do. Um, we we try to keep our sales balanced in thirds. So you know, we do about a third CSA, a third farmers market, and a third restaurants and wholesale. So. Okay. So so how many how many restaurants or chefs do you have a standing order system set up with? Uh, we have, uh, depending on the time of year, anywhere from twelve to fifteen restaurants around town that that have standing orders with us every week. I, well, so what I ended up doing is, is uh, you know, initially when I first started out, uh, the market was very saturated here, and it was um, it was challenging to get going. Uh, so my initial attitude was, you know, if any restaurant wants to buy anything from me, that's great. You know, that was how I looked at it. It was like if, if anybody wants to buy something from Second Spring, that's good for me. Um, but my attitude's pretty different about it now. So what I do is um, the thing that the thing that I like to do for restaurants is salad mix, and it's like a very consistent mix um, that is uh, priced at you know something that they can afford. And we have all these restaurants set up with a standing salad mix order. Um, and so most of the restaurants, that's all that we do um, for them. And then we have. A couple other things that come in uh, seasonally that we'll do um, more or less standing orders for once they kind of get in the swing of, of a weekly order. So uh, things like tomatoes and uh, pea shoots that we do as micros and trays in the greenhouse. Um, we have those things set up as standing orders with some restaurants as well. Okay. So Matt, like with with all but one of my restaurant customers, I have about seven or eight. Um, I, I send out a fresh sheet. Uh, once and then in the main season, twice weekly, uh, always always with reflecting what's in the garden, and and so the orders are always happening like you know as uh, just after the fresh sheets go out. 
are you are you suggesting these standing orders your setup is a little bit different are you still sending them fresh sheets every week or or are they do you just my experience with the fresh sheet thing is that um it, it's not uh logistically uh feasible and and therefore really profitable for me to be doing like you know four bunches of this and two bunches of that for a bunch of different restaurants trying to keep all of that straight and packing all of that and making those deliveries and billing for $10 of this and $12 of that doesn't really end up like making financial sense for us. So, um, so that's, that's how, that's how our restaurant setup is right now. And that's to say nothing of the extra effort, like, cause I, I am accommodating chefs in the way that you just described that you don't anymore. Uh, I mean, that's to say that, you know, that's to say nothing of just, just the task of, I write a separate fresh sheet for each restaurant twice a week and send those out and then field the emails back and, and build my list. It's a lot of labor, <laughs> Uh, just yeah. to, just to do oh, yeah. that. Uh, so yeah. so okay, but but I, I have a few follow up questions. Then, like, can you walk me through back when you were making the transition towards setting up these standing orders? I mean, um, was that was that difficult to set up with with chefs? I mean, it's, it sounds like essentially you have to tell them, look. Um, I'm not going to make, I, I probably more diplomatically than this, but, but, you know, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to Mickey mouse around with two bunches of dill this week or next. So, so, you yeah. know, here's, here's how you have to order from me. If, if you're going to participate, what do you, how do you set it up with chefs? Uh, so when I started doing what, you know, the whole deal with salad mix, the reason that I wanted that to kind of be our thing for restaurants was because it was just something that. I knew that I could produce year-round, like, you know, unheated tunnels in the winter and all that stuff. So once I got them hooked into that, I knew that, that they would, you know, I'd be able to actually get it to them every week. Because if you want to, you know, if you want somebody to place a standing order with you, you need to actually follow through. And you can't be like, you know, every three or four weeks being like, oh, I'm going to be short this week. Sorry. Because, you know, then they're not going <laughs> to, they're not going to want to deal with you anymore. Um, and the big thing for me, I guess, was when I first started out, uh, working with more and more restaurants. Once you had like a couple or three good restaurants on board, it was a lot easier to walk into a new restaurant uh, and deal with a chef that doesn't know you at all and give them a sample bag of mix and be like, you know, look, I sell to your friend that owns this place and this other guy that you know that's the chef <clears throat> over here and they buy from me every week and so here's this stuff and I can get it to you every week and that's that. Um, and, you know, choosing something that you want to put... <clears throat> get running as a standing order uh, that's pretty generic, you know, that a restaurant can kind of always use. Um, so some sort of micro microgreen or a salad mix or uh, mushrooms or tomatoes or like some, something that they're, that they're always going to, or even like carrots or something like that, that, that they're always pretty much going to want like every week. That's not super seasonal, um, I think is pretty key. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I still have, like to this day, there there are chefs that ask me to send them fresh sheets, and and uh, I mean I've like played that game, and they'll you know I'll send them a fresh sheet with like eight things, and they'll they'll ask for one of them, and then they'll be like, oh, do you have blah blah blah, and they'll just say, well, well, no, I don't, <laughs> it's not on the sheet that I sent you, so I just don't even play that game anymore. It's just it's too much work. So, and I think I think uh, I've heard. Uh, Jan say the same thing that he kind of got tired of doing that after a while um, as, and you know it's different if you're like running an urban farm or something and you're on a very small plot and you're like right in the middle of town and these guys are like all around you and 
you know, it's not a big deal to run a little of this over here and a little of that over there. But for logistically for me, it just doesn't work out. So well, let's say you have a restaurant that in midsummer is taking uh, 25 pounds of greens and 40 pounds of tomatoes a week. That's their standing order, right? Um, what I'm yeah, interested yeah. in, what I'm interested in knowing is, I mean, do they, do you, do you still get regular updates from them saying, Hey, can you cut it back this week? Or, Hey, can I have more this week? Uh, or, or do you just, kind uh, of... yeah, I try to minimize that as much as possible. So I, I just, I discourage that actively. Um, so, so everybody locks in their order for like the quote, quote unquote, you know, for the season, which is pretty much May to December. And there'll be a couple dips for everybody, you know, where like at like uh when kids go back to school in August and stuff like that, you'll see like restaurants will will slow down for a couple of weeks. Um uh even in a tourist town like this one. But I uh yeah, I, I when when people start doing that, when they start trying to change their order every week, I, I basically tell them that I can't do that. So, you know, if they if they want to add or subtract a pound or something like that, that's okay I guess. But I, I generally discourage that and i've had people also try to cancel their order the day of because they realize they still have some left and i just drop it off anyway unless it's like a friend of mine or something um because they you know the same way that like i've actually told a couple people like you know if i order food in your restaurant and then you bring it out to me and i go oh actually um i'm not as hungry as i thought so let me if you want to just send that back i'm going to order this <laughs> other plate like you know I mean, really, like, not to be an ass about it, but, like, that is kind of what that's the equivalent of, you know? No, no, I don't, so, and I don't, and I, I don't. And, and, a lot of, and a lot of chefs don't really, you know, they haven't worked on a farm. I've worked in kitchens, so I kind of get it, but they haven't worked on a farm, maybe, so maybe they don't kind of understand the logistics of that. But. Well, no, and I don't think you're being an ass about it, Matt, but I also, but I also think we can both agree that, I assume, that, that, that restaurants can't totally predict their, their business, right? So that's why it's like... Oh, sure, sure, so, yeah. but But anyway... What what it seems like to me is that is that you the way this works is you've just I mean tell me if I'm wrong you just kind of have taken this attitude I know what's going to be best for my business uh, and this is how it's going to be and you set a policy and either and then you end up so then then the chefs that are into it gravitate towards you and that works and then you just don't worry about the ones that don't end up buying from you because they don't like the system is that about right. Yep, that's exactly how it is. And honestly, I would—I know this is kind of off-topic, but maybe in the same vein, I feel that way about CSA as well. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think this is maybe a good point to make. So you know, when you're running a CSA, uh, you can never please everybody, right? And so my goal with the CSA is very similar to my goal with restaurants, which is I I'm very consistent. My quality is very high. I always do what I say I'm going to do. Uh, and I do a good job, you know, and if somebody isn't happy with that, for whatever reason they might come up with, that's kind of their problem and they can find another farm to buy from, you know. So, so I'm not, you know, I'm always going to do the best job that I possibly can, but you can't like cater to individual people all the time uh, <laughs> and, and still, and still do, you know what I mean? And I, I think this is a problem that a lot of small farms run into where they, they have CSA members or they have chefs or whatever that have these really unrealistic expectations of them because it's like they forget that, that you know, they're running a business and they're, they're dealing with hundreds of different customers at market and CSA and wholesale and restaurant and whatever. And, you know, you can't treat everybody like a special case all the time. Well, so, um, <laughs> you know, I yeah. think I might disagree with you because 
I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum, Matt. I, I am that person that oh, okay. goes out of my way, but I will say, <laughs> I would just restate it. I would just suggest that you can, but it brings a lot more stress and I would suggest less profits. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, more... yeah, you're totally right. Of course you can, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and, mean... and then another consequence is that your wife or husband or spouse or whatever ends up having to hear you vent all the time about about all the, all, all this <laughs> all this bullshit that you have to take, even though, even, and then, and then, and then in my case, you know, she ends up pointing out, well, like, yeah, you, you kind of made your bed, didn't you, Jordan? Um, but but yeah, what, yeah. what I find, what I, what I find, um, what I found fascinating about it. So I'll just quickly tell you, I really am at the opposite end of the spectrum. I've taken my CSA towards even more flexibility and more options. I now am at a point where, uh, I'm way away from the traditional CSA. So I'm offering home delivery. I'm offering uh, complete flexibility. Like people don't have to take the veggies every week. They get to choose what goes in their bag every week. So like maximum, maximum flexibility. And I, I, and I, I won't, I won't, I won't go into details with the chefs, but it's very similar. I'm, I'm the guy that, yeah, absolutely. You can have a piece of horse root or sorry, horseradish or, or, you know, a bunch of dill with your order. Um, but what I find interesting, I'll, I'll focus on the CSA um, and almost in a way depressing is it, I find it doesn't matter to what lengths I go to make it more flexible. Yep. I find yep. the more flexible I am, the more people just expect and demand. Like it's never, I know, I, yeah, I don't, I really don't. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, it's so funny because I used to, in the CSA, I used to choose what goes in the bags. Uh, and then the next year I chose what goes in the bags, but I allowed them to say one thing they never wanted to see. You know what I mean? And I slowly went in that direction. And look, my, my business is working well, um, but I can, I can, I can, I can hear, you know, hearing you and how you've structured it. I can really, uh, like, I look at that with a bit of envy. Absolutely. And I, and I, I, I've really learned, yeah. it's just human psychology is really funny, you know, and, um, it, it just is. really, it sounds like it you've, really you've, 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 you've ignored whatever neurotic impulses exist in a lot of us market gardeners and said, no, nope, oh, nope, this is yeah, what, this no, is how it's going to be. I haven't ignored them. I've just tamed them. Like <laughs> they were there at so I will say I started out doing exactly what you're doing, um, and it took it only took like a year for me to be like, wow, I just can't do that for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. Um, so I and I will say, you know, that adage about um, 20% of your customers take up 80% of your time or something like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, like that whole idea that like you have this small group of of either CSA members or you know, people that shop with you at market that are always like holding up the line or like the chef that's always trying to change his order with you the day of, or, you know, like those people. And I, and I just feel like those people are always going to be out there and like whatever you can do to sort of weed them out <laughs> a little, like no pun intended, I guess, but, you know, considering the line of work or whatever, Absolutely. but like whatever you can do to weed them, maybe I did intend the pun actually, but whatever you can do to weed them out of your, customer base like it takes a while but i just feel like eventually maybe you can end up with and maybe maybe not but i think eventually you could maybe end up mostly with a customer base that actually understands to some degree to whatever extent they can what your job and life are like and can sort of respect that and respect your time and energy a little bit more and and i, I don't know maybe that's wishful thinking but i think you can get there eventually well, if you set like it, some boundaries, it, it's, you know? it seems like you're doing a good job. I have to say, I want to say just because it, it it doesn't hurt to 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 take a contrary perspective. Uh, even though I oh, yeah. I really it sound to me it sounds to me like the, you, the what the way you're doing things is awesome, and that, you know it's it's really good food for thought for me. But um, the a weird thing though is like you know one of my 
I would say maybe just by the nature of their business, one of my most high maintenance chef customers is actually one of my favorites to deal with. Um, they're doing arguably the most interesting things with my stuff. So, so there's aspects of that, of that kind of really committed relationship to a chef that's high maintenance that I enjoy. Um, uh, yeah. I enjoy the challenge, but overall, but I, what I, I, I feel like I can't deny is that the, the model you've described, um, it makes a ton more business sense. And we've, we've all, every single one of us market gardeners knows we just don't have enough time in the day. And it sounds like you've come yeah. up with a really great system. Well, you know, and I think a lot of it too, it just ultimately comes down to how your sales are proportionally reflected in your, you know, in your, in your numbers throughout the year. So, so in other words, uh, if you're trying to mostly sell to restaurants or, if, you know, so like, you know, if you're Curtis Stone or something and your, your goal is to, uh, you, yeah, you do a farmer's market, but a lot of your sales are going to restaurants in the city that you're in because maybe you're doing an urban farm or whatever. Um, then of course, like you really, you, you need to, to cater to chefs because hawking like eight bunches of this and eight bunches of that is kind of how you're going to make your money, you know? Um, but then at that point, if that's your business model, then you would systematize that in a way that would make it easier. So you could go to some trouble with like a Google drive, or I know Curtis is working on, uh, with a friend of his, some sort of, um, cloud-based, uh, app that will, that will do things like this in a, in a more efficient way than anything else that's out there right now. Um, so, you know, send out a fresh sheet with like an inventory attached to it and everybody places their orders and then it all gets compiled into a spreadsheet for you. And then when you're going doing your deliveries, you got it on your phone and you just like drop off this and that, you know, so you, you would need to set something like that up and then maybe it's not crazy anymore. But like for me, when I'm doing a, a big farmer's market, like a lot of stuff for a farmer's market every Saturday and selling a lot of stuff. And then when I'm running a sizable CSA all year, like we do the winter CSA too with fresh stuff all winter. So like when I'm doing all that other stuff, I can't budget the time to like deal with restaurants with that level of, of special specialty and minutia and whatever. But, but it totally could work if you, had a different business model from mine. So. I think that's an important point. I mean, in my model, I'm doing 75% <laughs> restaurant sales. Uh, and so, and I have pretty good systems. Okay. I have pretty good systems to keep the whole process of fresh eats and all the rest efficient. Matt, you mentioned you're not gonna, you're not gonna fool around with a couple of bunches of dill on the order. Does that suggest you just, for the restaurants, you don't even offer the crops where they're only gonna tend to want small amounts or? Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah. So, so what, I, so what I literally do at this point is like I said, we have 12 to 15 accounts. Um, and that, and then also a couple of grocery, uh, wholesale accounts for salad mix and, and pea shoots and things too. But, but as far as the restaurants go, um, we, uh, I really only have like a couple that I send a fresh sheet to. And one of them is placing a very large order because he's getting pretty much all of his produce for the week from me. Um, but everybody else, I don't even bother sending them fresh sheets. They just have their salad mix every week and that's it. So, okay. Or once the tomatoes kick in, maybe somebody will get 10 pounds or 20 bags of, or 20 pints, I mean, of cherries or whatever, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I don't even, I don't even, things like radishes and beets and what, I just don't bother. All right. So. Okay. Uh, okay. So last, last question then, Matt. And I think this is probably an important one too. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a great system. Um, but 
you're I, I i would bet that if you're not already in a competitive region in terms of other other market gardeners uh you you know you're in you're in a population you know you're in i think you're in Asheville. there's 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 a decent population there at some point oh it's very competitive right there, yeah so it's so don't don't sure. you don't you worry about someone say like me with let's say let's just let's just hypothetically assume you and i have very similar quality of our produce okay good, both good products mm-hmm. If I'm willing to come along and do that extra hustling and really cater and say, yep, you can order a bunch of dill and, and all the rest. I mean, geez, I, one, one restaurant I delivered to yesterday had about um, 15 items I delivered and most of them were worth under 10 bucks an item. Okay. Um, do you, I mean, is there, do you worry about that? Do you, do, 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 do you, are you concerned that in future, um, you know, you could get out hustled because of people who are willing to cater to that degree? How do you know what, what is your and stance? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think so because I honestly like my aim just, you know, specifically with restaurants from the beginning was to fill a, a, a niche market that wasn't already being fulfilled for them. And so for me, a couple of years ago when I started, that was a salad mix, but like all year. So, you know, in the spring and fall, they could get some salad mix and like the quality kind of went up and down depending on what farm you're getting it from and and then it falls off in the summer and the winter um so i was like hey let me just be the guy that does this for you you know like i'll drop off 10 pounds of this stuff a week all year no exceptions you never have to worry about it you never have to place another cisco order for salad mix ever again mm-hmm. you don't have to like call a different farm text somebody at the, and have them canceling you at the last minute or whatever and so they know they can get that from me. So, and, and I, I think this is where building uh, personal relationships as much as you can with each chef is really important because if you, if they know you, if they know your face and they know your name and, you know, it doesn't mean that you're buddies necessarily, but like, you know, you're, you're more than acquaintances. You're, you, you have some sort of, of semi-formal business relationship. Um, somebody else that wants to come around and like hustle harder than you or whatever, which by the way, I still hustle pretty hard. But, <laughs> but, um, somebody that wants to hustle harder than you to do a little of this and a little of that. I still seriously doubt that any of the restaurants that I sell to would ever cancel their salad mix order with me to start ordering from somebody else mm. or their, or their early or the early tomatoes that I do or whatever, just because that other person happens to be willing to bring them some other stuff too. I think that would be really strange because they, because they know me and I know them and there's an established relationship there. And they, you know, they know that I've been consistent on this thing for a long time. And so, so no, I'm not, I'm not really worried about that. Um, uh, honestly, I, it hasn't, it's not even something I've thought about, but yeah, I don't, I don't really worry too much about that. Well, Matt Coffey, I salute you and your approach to restaurant sales. <laughs> Thank you. Man, uh, I, well, uh, but you know, but you're probably making a lot more money than me from restaurants. Oh, no. So hey, like look, I, I would say is I, you, I'm you not, know. I, I'm very secure in the way I do things. Uh, I, uh, but I, but that's not to say I can't look at the way you do things and think, wow, that's really deserves some thought. And there's no reason you can't have a mix of both. You're, you know, the restaurants. Right. Likewise. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. so the, anyway, very cool. Thank you so much for getting on the phone again, and uh, I hope uh, hope we can have you back on uh, sometime in future. Oh yeah, I'm always always happy to be on the podcast. It's, it's one of my favorites. So thanks for having me. All right, so that's that's it for this week, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, just a quick note: there's been some great journalism released in the last week or so regarding agriculture. Uh, the National Academies of Science in the United States 
released a major report on GMOs, on genetically modified organisms, and their safety and efficacy. And there's all kinds of articles online uh, about that report. Uh, I'll point out one at grist.org. Uh, you could read Nathaniel Johnson's take. He's been a former guest on the podcast. The New York Times has uh, a really great uh, take on the report. So I recommend checking that out, as well as Tom Philpott's most recent article on the use of antibiotics in livestock production, which you can check out at Mother Jones. Uh, so anyway, tons, tons to read. Go check it out. And uh, I will talk to you in a week. Take care. chestnut spring water and peaches will owe nothing to this world of thieves and live life like it was meant to be. trying to bleed us dry we could be happy with life in the country with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands i've been doing a lot of thinking some real soul searching and here's my final resolve I don't need a big old house or some fancy car to keep my love going strong so we'll run right out into the wilds and braces we'll keep close quarters with gentle faces and live next door to the birds and the bees and live life like it was meant to be